And for me personally, how we think about creativity is giving things a go and showing them different perspectives and putting on different maybe hats. And that's where diversity really helps creativity. If you can relate to other people, if you start thinking about how other people feel or see the world, then it really expands your mind and gives you more ideas to really play with. Hi there, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods. It's time to fire up your day with some fuel for change. We run on a simple hypothesis here, that the humble act of grabbing a coffee with someone inspiring is all that it takes to tap into your ability to go out and be the change that you want to see in the world. Coffee Potters, I'm excited to introduce you to this week's guest. He's a designer, narrative animator and digital craftsman. I'm talking about Mond Q, the founder of United Make, which is an experimental think tank and multidisciplinary studio of design based in Melbourne. Mon's renowned for pushing the frontiers of design and innovating outside of the box, challenging the way that we look at the world and the way that we use resources. He's also behind one of the most extraordinary hoodwinkings of the internet I have ever seen or heard of, and I'm really excited to unpack the way that he sees the world and how he managed to pull off such a grand illusion. Without further ado, meet Mond. Mond, I'm so pumped to have you on Coffee Pods. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me. Not a problem at all, Holly. I really appreciate being able to have a chat with you. I uh, love the way that you self-describe or the way that you are described. Designer, narrative animator, digital craftsman. Um, You do all these things that kind of, for me, push the boundary of what someone who studied architecture and design would traditionally do with their career. Uh, I'm so interested to know um, where your passion started. Was there a moment in childhood or um, was there a moment even during your studies where you started to to think that, geez, the, the creative way I see the world has the potential to do such weird and wonderfully new things? So my interest in architecture and design all started uh, for my parents. So both my parents are interior designers. They basically inspired me to, to really think differently about the world and through the lenses of art, science, uh, as well as anthropology and philosophy. I think at a young age, because they influenced me in drawing a lot, uh, I just got fascinated about the world. And initially, I think when I started... I wanted to be an architect in the traditional sense, building buildings and skyscrapers. But then as I learned about the world and the impacts that we give and the ways that we think about the world, I thought I could provide more value in other aspects when we're now living in a digital information revolution. So when I went to uni, I remember I went to London. And the funniest thing is my final two years of university, I didn't design a single building. I ended up making stories and films and narratives that really talked about our world rather than designing physical objects. And I think that really influenced me to the design I am today. And so tell me, I mean, when you leave uni, having kind of used your study time that laterally to do such different rays of things that that probably aren't the way people normally think about what comes under the design and, and architecture umbrella, did you have a clear sense of what it was that you wanted to do or how it is you wanted to create your impact in the world? <laughs> I think as a young designer, I just wanted to really cause some really big impact in a way that uh, wasn't just uh, to do with physical buildings because when you're taught in university, it's always that you know you have a dream client, you'll be designing museums, you'll be designing airports everywhere, but when you go out into the real world, those projects don't really come 
immediately, right? So for me, when I started, I didn't really even have a game plan. I, <laughs> I sort of wanted just to do design. I took out a loan to buy a laser cutter. And then everything from that really helped uh, just for figuring myself out. It all just comes from experience. Uh, and from when I was 23, 24, I just knew that my design skills could be applied in different ways rather than just buildings. And so tell me, I mean, I'm kind of interested in not taking a conventional approach and you and I have had this chat before. How difficult have yep. you found it going against the grain, you know, in an industry that has a certain way of working, a certain way of, of largely kind of people climbing or working their way up the ranks? As you said, you from the get-go have wanted to drive an impact-focused career how have you found doing, yeah. doing it differently within the profession? I think starting out is probably sometimes the hardest just because it's quite lonely. Uh, people sort of don't understand what you're trying to do or how you're trying to do it. Especially when I was just starting out, everyone had a community of working in an office or you know, working their way up. But I found myself not knowing which path to take, which projects to take sometimes, how to bill, how to write invoices, how to manage people at the time. Uh, but that all just came with, you know, meeting the right people, being really diligent about it, and also just not giving up. There were so many times when I felt as though that, you know, things would never go my way or things just didn't work. But I think through meeting different people and also doing projects that actually created impact and helped people, um, it just gave me encouragement to really continue going. So one of the aspects I think that really, really changed my focus was rather than just figuring out what I wanted, it was, you know, how can I provide more value for other people? And what through the means of design and aspects that I've learned, uh, breaking it down into more of a process rather than just product or object focused. And it's more of an ecosystem and system that we really design. So rather than thinking about scaling uh, an object that can you know go larger, we sort of look at how we like design things and the process that we go through to do it, and that could be translated in many different ways, be it a building, be it an event, be it an experience, be it a piece of furniture. We use the same processes to go through it rather than just the same object or you know product. <laughs> I love that. And I'm interested. I mean, one of the things I've known about you from when we first met is your, your passion for adding value to others and also your passion for sustainability. Where was it in your journey? I don't know if you can take us to a moment or whether there was a particular problem or challenge that really grabbed you that made you passionate about wanting to use your design and, and also approach design from a sustainability lens as well. So one of the fortunate opportunities that I had whilst at university was I went and travelled a lot of the world. So I went to Alaska during winter solstice and experienced perpetual night, but also seeing the transatlantic uh, pipe of oil being dug up. I saw these big holes in the world causing these landscapes to happen because I need and you know hunger for technology. And I felt as though that the impacts that we're making in the world is a lot blindsided because we all live in these cities that are generating all this energy as well as this waste, but we never really see it. It's not sort of out of sight, out of mind. And when I started designing things, rather than thinking about the objects and the final product, what are the systems and materials and processes that actually go into them? So that actually changed the way that I started designing. 
and now when we're starting to design, we think about, well, what is the actual embodied energy within something? How does it actually work? Does it actually reduce the impact or um, reduce the impact on the global global climate change position as well as you know using virtual materials can we think about using waste materials and definitely one of the key aspects that really helped help this was traveling to madagascar traveling to chernobyl traveling to china uh, and parts of australia as well and i think that really refocused where i felt where i could play more value and also help other people and can you give us an example? I mean, I know you've done some really out-of-the-box creative things using that process <laughs> thinking as opposed to kind of, you know, the object thinking as you were talking about earlier. Can you give us give listeners yeah. an example of some of the really cool sure. things you guys have created? Absolutely. So one project, let's start from a smaller one, uh, was just using recycled coffee grounds to make beautiful objects. So one of the things that we were tasked to do, because Melbourne is one of the biggest drinkers of coffee, uh, we create a lot of coffee grounds, a lot of waste from that. And one of the issues with that is when it goes to landfill, uh, because of the process that it goes through, it creates methane, which isn't great. So what we do is we, we use the coffee grounds and make them into beautiful lampshades as well as beautiful objects that people can use uh, and create art from it rather than thinking of another thing that we can throw out. Another project that we've done is looked at pollution. So we designed a sculpture in Shanghai that over time would actually filter the air and help, uh, I guess, bring more awareness about the current things that are driving pollution in our current age. And we think there's a really good synergy between how we can use art as a way of storytelling, but also quite functional. So rather than just a pretty object that people can see and sometimes so esoteric that people can't like relate to it, we try and talk about our time through these objects and ways of doing things. Another way that we're thinking about is that we collaborate a lot with furniture companies uh, and also there's offcuts and different um, byproducts that they produce. We try to create uh, different forms of furniture as well. So how the offcuts and waste materials can create you know, bedside tables or uh, chest of drawers that could be quite meaningful to the world. And you know, as we consume this landscape, and now humans are the biggest shapers of um, the world, uh, virgin materials are always going to be harder to come by. So how can we start thinking about using or reusing some of these materials for our next generation or in the future? That's awesome. And it naturally makes me think a lot about your creative process because I, I don't look at Coffee Grounds Bond and go, oh, wow, we could turn that into light fittings. And, you know, really, like, that's not where my head goes. I'm interested, particularly because you're using materials where oftentimes you're, you're in, entirely pioneering the way that they might be deployed. How do you and your team kind of work through that experimentation process almost from a creative standpoint? Uh, I think it's a lot about curiosity. And when you start thinking about, well, what is possible? How can we do this? And asking the fundamental, fundamental questions of why, like, why is it like this? Why is a rubber duck the way that it is? You know, why can't we change this process? And I think once you ask those fundamental questions, and start really picking away at these layers because a lot of the systems that we have set up today is because of ancient processes that have gone through the ages and we just really haven't really challenged them. And now we're in a time because of such you know, fast age of information, new ways of doing things, asking those fundamental questions again is really relevant. And then for us to really explain it to other 
people and how we can actually help or add value or change those processes for a better world is definitely the things that youth and we should be really thinking about because isn't it really bad if we start just blindly following processes that initially we thought was well but they're out of date now and it's completely different indicators or performance criteria that currently leads our society and for me personally that creative process is challenging the status quo and be able to look at different ways or different views of asking the right questions what we usually do is we collaborate a lot because we're designers we're not you know material scientists we're not you know uh, physicists or we're not structural engineers so we have a really good list of collaborators that we've worked with over the years such as Arab which is an amazing structural company we've worked with CSIRO with materials uh, we've worked with a lot of amazing artists as well as film recorders so I think the collective really makes that happen and through the processes that I've gone through and the ability to see different ways of doing things I can get these collaborators early on board and start really asking the right questions the team that we have is quite diverse from digital designers to actors to you know, graphic designers to structural engineers and product design engineers we sort of look at in a very multidisciplinary way rather than just focusing on how can we solve the problem and that was kind of one of the things i wanted to touch on like it, for me collaborations are where we're using a lot at the moment a bit like innovation mm. um, but it's sort of easier yep. than done doing it well um what have you learned about absolutely effective collaboration particularly because as you said and i think this is one of the things a lot of leaders are are grappling with at the moment you know we we get and understand the value of diversity but then you've got the challenge of all these diverse perspectives inputs ideas coming together and ultimately having to agree a course of action, um, get everyone aligned, get them bought into then carrying the project forward and, and implementing it. And, and that part is, uh, I think, for a, a little, uh, quite a lot of people, you know, a, a very mystical act almost with how it happens now. What have you learned about how, how to foster good collaboration or effective collaboration? Have the right vision across the board. Communicate to the team that basically what the intent is and how we're trying to make the overall thing better. Because if they don't know what the issue or the vision of the team that they're trying to do, then they can go all around everywhere. I also think that setting up a good value system at the beginning, telling you exactly what you know we're looking for upfront, there's no confusion as well, is definitely what I've learned over the years. Because it means that we can be all on the same page and once you communicate that to everyone and also listening to everyone's points of view, uh, then it becomes a very healthy collaboration rather than a one-sided way of going about it. And I do know that the collaboration word and these buzzwords that get thrown around a lot, I also feel as though these words are just usually thrown in there to, to really uh, enhance someone's portfolio or a way you're saying it. But for me personally, how I see it is that, you know, honesty, coming across quite genuine and also having the right reasons to collaborate rather than collaborating for the sake of collaborating uh, is very important. I think that purpose piece is so, so on the money there. And the other thing I was wondering about was the environment, like kind of circling back to the creativity point we were talking about just a second ago. We've got a lot of organisations yeah. now who are acknowledging, in fact, we keep seeing it in the World Economic Forum list of sort of most valuable skills of the future. You know, creativity is you know, all the time now in, in the top five, if not the top three. And a lot of people are sort of going, yeah. okay, well, 
if I don't, if I'm not born creative in the traditional sense of the word, can I become more creative? And I think also we're starting to challenge ourselves to say, what role does our environment play in creativity? What, what things do you and your team intentionally do to spark or to nourish and fuel your creativity? How do you kind of stimulate it alongside the way the experiment in itself? Do you take yourself certain places during the year? What, what is it that you do to kind of keep that muscle um, continually, I guess, just nourished? See, I think a lot of the problems with society that people associate creativity as like good drawers or good artists or painters, and that needs to change because creativity doesn't mean that they're artistic. It means that they're able to think in a different way and really quite laterally. And for me personally, how we think about creativity is giving things a go and showing them different perspectives and putting on different maybe hats or um, seeing different perspectives. And that's where diversity really helps creativity. Because if you start thinking and empathizing with other people, it ultimately means being human, right? If you can relate to other people, if you start thinking about how other people feel or see the world, then it really expands your mind and gives you more ideas to really play with. I would also say that challenge yourself a lot. You know, like take up a pencil, take up paper mache. You know, if you're not a good drawer, it doesn't matter. You know, I think people are too easy to judge and people are too easy to give up on things these days. If you don't get that instant gratification, people are like, oh, I'm just not a good drawer. But, you know, what is a good drawer? How do you define a good drawer? It doesn't mean that you have to draw something that's really lifelike. Of course, that helps in some aspects, but drawing things, putting things together, being able to, you know, see patterns, being able to pick out different aspects. You know, I think creativity is a really sometimes undefined word that I think everyone should define it for themselves. And I feel everyone has the opportunity and ability to be creative. I also think that there's an ability to be quite artistic in, you know, accounting sometimes. <laughs> um, I think they could be applied in different ways because you're really just showing people your view of the world and accountants have different views of the world that also could really be meaningful to other people. Uh, and and for, for me personally, I, I love to have these conversations with others because it really means, you know, there's a diversity and difference of being human. It's, it's great that we're not the same, you know. It's just you should have the ability to express yourself in means or media or drawing or numbers in all different ways. I love that. And I see you practice that all the time. Your curiosity is totally insatiable. And it's one of the things I love about you. I think um, one of your creators, most creative feats is at an altar. You are the man who <laughs> winked the internet. I've been so excited to understand the backstory of this because I've seen you speak on this topic before. I find it quite mind blowing what you managed to pull off. I'll let you tell the story. How did at an altar come into being? Okay. So, Back in 2013, I was very fascinated in digital architecture, not just the processes that we're going through to design, let's say, parametric or parameter design architecture, which is really a new way of evolving of you know, different processes, but how the digital landscape of information is changing the way that we perceive buildings, images, landscapes, and people. So way before fake news, <laughs> way before all this thing became a hype, um, I was locked up in one of a Georgian house in the Architecture Association in London, uh, thinking about, well, what is the future of architecture? 
And one of the things that I started to really grapple with and start to understand is that we travel and look at places online more sometimes than actually going to these places. We get fed these images of how beautiful Bali is, how beautiful Mexico or China is and the Great Wall of China, but how many people actually go? So my curiosity really began on, well, who are the big companies that are playing within this? How do we actually get this information? And then I started to really delve in and start to unpick it. So the first things I did was I looked at Google Earth and Google Maps because that's the first thing that we usually do. Have you Googled it? It's now in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, and then from there, my experiments that I started to launch in the world started by tagging the trips that I've done overseas. So I traveled to Mexico at the time, and then I thought, was well, how do these programs like Panoramio at the time know where I've been? Do they have a GPS tracker? Do they have anything? So I started uploading these images, and these images started getting accepted. So I started tagging pictures from Mexico and London, London in China, China in Australia. And once that started to happen, well, I was thinking, how can we really push the boundaries of this? Because as architects, what we really do is we start thinking about the concepts of what buildings are as well as how they're um, represented and how they look and how they feel. We, we're not the actual builders. So what we're really good at is the representational aspect of it. So when we give presentations, it's really images of buildings um, that are really much basically fictions. So from there, I started pushing the boundaries of what a building could be online. So I started rendering images. First, I started by collaging them in Photoshop, which is a program that makes you manipulate photos. And then I found out how the algorithm worked within Panoramia, and I started really pushing it. To cut a long story really short, I started making Wikipedia articles on it, a YouTube video on it, as well as have a live set. Uh, stage set model, which was live streaming onto Google Earth. And this project got so far that a National Geographic photographer contacted me and asked if it was safe to visit. <laughs> and the reason why I sort of talked about this place was um, it was when my time over the, um, the mines and things around the world is that the things that we're consuming, such as YouTube videos and all these Instagram content, was causing these landscapes around the world, like large holes being dug in Kalgoorlie or the illegal mines in the Congo. And I wanted to close that loop by, one, bringing more awareness about these issues through this new technology that we're sort of, I guess, dealing with, as well as seeing new opportunities to navigate and talk about space or spatial conditions as an architect. And that really started my curiosity of, wow, we're living in a time right now where an image or the digital realm is just as important as the physical. And I believe in the future, the physical aspect is just going to be one part of the spectrum that we're going to start being able to experience with the advent of virtual reality, augmented reality, or mixed reality. It must have blown your mind how quickly it snowballed in and of itself um, in terms of the, the momentum you got. I mean, obviously, you're able to generate, you know, incredible results on Google and Wikipedia. I mean, having National Geographic reach out and say, hey, can we get permission to come and photograph this landscape? is quite extraordinary, <laughs> um, let alone all the third-party kind of interest that you created on the internet. What, for you, was kind of the, the biggest lesson that came out of this this experiment that caught fire? I think one of the biggest things is that 
any of us, one of us can cause change, you know? Mm. Like, just me in a room in London doing a fictional project of an island off the east coast of Mexico can influence so many people is very empowering, as well as the ability to really talk about what you want to do and how you can change the world, but also how fragile technology is. Right, like we we live in a time when everything could really, if you cut off electricity, if you cut off technology, or go offline, that's a whole city or you know infrastructure or country affected. So yeah, so for me, I think it was just a big revelation of you know, as a single person, <laughs> you can make a lot of good or bad change if you really you know really believed in it. And, and since then, has it changed think. the way that you've approached your work at all in that regard? Have you been more ambitious or audacious by virtue of kind of almost what you unwittingly in many ways proved to yourself through, um, through that process? Oh, it's definitely given me a lot of confidence that, you know, we can make the change that we believe in, that we can actually see the world differently. So I definitely believe that that has encouraged me to, to really do things on my own and challenge the status quo, but also have fun. <laughs> yeah, have fun looking at the world and really start pushing the limits and boundaries, but also telling people about it, you know, and, and bringing awareness to these things so people are more aware of it. I think education plays a massive role within this aspect. That's awesome. I love that, it, you know, for you, the lesson out of experiment like that was just that, that ability to be the change that you wanted to see in the world and to spark conversation, interest, critical thinking in a direction where maybe it hadn't been harnessed before. Yeah, and also be able to do things. Don't mm. talk about them. Do them. Because then you can talk about them afterwards. But then there's <laughs> something to talk about. You know, there's something to talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, what habits have you built in that regard? You know, because I think it's very easy. And look, I don't, this is projecting, but I can imagine it would be a profession in the sense of architecture where the perfection for the want of, and I, and I do happen to know architects who are probably this way inclined, the, the finessing of drawings and the want to, to make it perfect, and I kind of use air quotes when, I, when I'm saying that word, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, almost leads to potentially delays in action, perhaps more risk aversion, perhaps, you know, like not what you're talking about there, which is this notion of be iterative, be collaborative, start and see what happens. How have you kind of yeah. built different habits in that regard to almost enable that bias for action to, to um, come to life, but in a way that still serves the purpose that you've embarked on your project for? Yeah, so I feel that there's going to be a different breed of architects emerging in the next generation, in our generation. This sort of digital, digital landscape. What I mean by digital is physical and digital architect that's emerging. And I believe that architects in the future aren't just going to be representational artists, but also ones that design digital landscapes that overlay on physical areas. So I believe that what we can do as digital architects is actually use more you know, language from the software world where we can update and completely revamp things quickly rather than having to perfect one thing and then mm. sort of deal with it. Um, I also feel as though there needs to be a lot more communication across architectural companies rather than an egotistical driven, like I know the best because I've done it. Because in... Really, throughout, throughout history, architects need to collaborate and learn from each other because, you know, they should be the expert in, you know, uh, stadium building or experts in 
uh, let's say, museum design or airport designs. But what they really need to start looking at is, well, where are humans really going to go? We're not stuck in the age of, you know, Roman or, you know, Gothic cathedrals anymore. That was the time back, you know, when, you know, religion and stuff was quite high. Where Where is the next stage of architecture heading? And to be honest, in my point of view, I think we need a whole spectrum of different architects. The architects that design houses and really love that sort of brick and mortar type of buildings. And I think they could really proliferate in their area. But we also need different architects that can challenge that. Um, in terms of this idea of perfection, I think in any any industry, everyone strives for perfection. It's just that the problem with architecture and the building aspect is that it takes four years to really get your idea out. And sometimes when your idea is built, it's not relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot more time to really consider what you're trying to do. And that just comes from time and experience. Uh, but also, I, I can't fault you know people who want to be striving for that perfection. And really, um, that's how you know we get better designs. And you know, it's, I, I want to say it's a negative comment. Um, on the architecture industry, I just think that, you know, the construction industry is just, you know, very slow. But that's because, you know, buildings take time mm. to build, you know, buildings. And, and it should, you know, if it was too quick, you know, these instant cities that pop in, up in the world, you lose a sense of culture and identity. You know, like, isn't it a great thing that through this quick iterative approach that digitalization takes, there is breather and slow aspect of construction that we can actually live and see and experience and then another layer gets added on. So I feel as though the slowness in architecture is actually a really fresh, fresh air in, in, in this world. I like that. Um, Not the all yeah, or nothing. It's the, the fact that everything has its place and that it, in part the symbiosis is that you were talking about before between the physical and the digital or the, the human and the physical and the digital um, is such an important interplay to ultimately make sure that we get something that truly delivers and, and meets the need, meets the utility function, flourishes culturally, um, you know, is nourishing kind of from a human spirit, physicality point of view. There's, there's so much to, uh, to contend with really. Absolutely. And, and I really enjoy that. Like brick, mortar, you know, concrete, they're beautiful things and they take whiles to, you know, appreciate after time. Mm. And, you know, and, and I'm glad that it takes time because it means that we can start thinking about, well, what are the bare necessities in the physical world that we need to think about? And then what things within the digital landscape can we start overlaying on this physical world to add more meaning or layers that can be switched out quite quickly? Mm. Um, I wanted to ask before, Mon, you know, you've talked about how you kind of have marched the beat of your own path or you've marched the beat of your own drum really since you left university, which I love. Yeah. And, you know, that meant that there was a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't know how to do. You know, you didn't know how to write invoices. You didn't know how to approach that kind of iterative learning that you yourself have been on. I'm interested as to yeah. whether or not there's been a particularly pivotal bit of advice or a lesson that you've learned on your journey thus far that you would offer as encouragement to those who are embarking on a similar sort of trajectory. Yeah, I think overall is really understanding why you're doing the things that you're doing because you can easily lose your way if not. And especially when finances start coming into play and you've got overheads that you have to do, um, you can start really wavering a little bit of the true intent why you even started what you wanted to do. And that is one aspect as an overall way. I think also not giving up grit. 
uh, has played a big part of my life because I think I'm just, you know, I, I, I constantly prototype and iterate. <laughs> it's like, I don't give up because it was too hard. I was like, well, what went right and what went wrong and how can we make it better? I think that's also just in my personality. I sort of do that in everything that I do. And secondly, is just talk to other people and, and also don't be afraid for asking for help. Mm. I think some people just, you know, isolate themselves and, you know, especially within the architecture world, it's like, you know, the lone hero or genius, you know, that comes up with all the ideas and solves the world's problems. But actually, there's such a big team and people behind that. And I want to empower other people to think like that as well and really be humble about it. Because once you think you know too much, you actually know nothing at all. Mm. So I want to constantly learn and constantly like impart on other people to reach out to other people and also, you know, just have a really decent and honest conversation about where you stand and about, you know, how much you're paying for things or how, how you're approaching things. And, you know, I think the best word of advice is just ask for advice. Yeah, go out <laughs> and take it. Yeah. And, you know, you have to also understand yourself. I think, you know, don't try and be the next, you know, Elon Musk or the next Stephen Jobs or, you know, try and be your own person. Work out what works for you, you know. Who are you, Holly Ranson, you know, and what makes you tick and makes you work? And let's write our own paths and own things. Don't get put in a box because this is how a designer is supposed to be or this is how an accountant is supposed to be or this is how a furniture maker is supposed to be. I think we're in a time where we can redefine that. I you know, when people ask it's me liberating, isn't it? what I am, yeah, like, who, what, what are you, you know, like, what am I really defined about my profession? Like, technically speaking, when people want to understand because they can't grasp what I do, I'm like, oh, I'm a designer, because mm-hmm. that's the, probably the most, you know, easiest thing to understand. But then, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lot more than that. And then when people start understanding what we do, then they start understanding the values. But we can even start coming up with our own professions that we really want to see or change. But that starts from really understanding yourself and where you stand. And also that evolves. It changes, right? It doesn't have to stay the same. It doesn't mean that you're going to be an accountant for the rest of your life. It means that you're going to be an architect for the rest of your life. It means that at the time that you are right now and what you believe in, really sitting down and really understanding that what you want to see is is really important. Taking that time to reflect and seeing where you have a plan of where to go, mm. even though if that plan doesn't happen, it's fine. At least you had, you know, a plan uh, to go. And, you know, constantly understanding your health as well. So understanding what your limits are in terms of health, uh, relationships with, you know, family, friends, as well as, you know, being able to, you know, see the, see the change that you want to see and then keeping yourself accountable to that. And I think that's one of the interesting things where a lot of people, you know, often feel overwhelmed by that notion of why do I really do what I do or understand the why, you know, and it's been interesting talking to people over the course of doing this, this podcast for two years about their, their habits or their systems that they've built or the, the journeys that they've been on to arrive at that uh, conclusion or, a, as you said, an ever-evolving conclusion about who they are and yeah. why they're doing what they do. Um, what for you... Yeah. It, is, it was an activity you found particularly beneficial. And I know I've met people who write letters to themselves, um, who sit down and do end-of-year goal planning, who take themselves off into nature once every six months for kind of a, a brainstorming day or a check-in day. What have you found useful for you in that journey of self-discovery? Travelling, mm. definitely travelling. Being able to put myself outside the same routine context that is everyday work life. Yep. 
and be able to subject myself into other realms of reality <laughs> and see how other people work or how other people do things and really, you know, having that time to think and disconnect. It's a great teacher, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And, you know, keep and, and also just being humble about it, being the last person to speak in the room because you want to listen, you know, be able to actually like empathize or understand where they're coming from. And then be able to go and part of the world. You know, nature is so beautiful in that aspect. Mm, completely. And I think it's a great teacher in architecture and life. <laughs> I love that. Mond, um, I've got one final question for you before we wrap up. We, uh, we love at Coffee Pods kind of shifting people out of this state of being inspired to actually taking some action. And as you said, going and doing, um, you know, moving into that action gear. If you could encourage people to go and, and do something after having listened to what you've shared, what would you like to encourage mm. them to do? Start journaling. Mm. Do you journal and, and every day? Uh, I, I journal in different ways, through model making, through sketching, through voice recording. It doesn't have to be drawing or writing. I it like could be that. anything. It could be painting, you know, it could be stitching, you know. It, it just journaling aspects of life that are really meaningful to you. And then what it means is that you can see the growth and stuff that you've, you've been through, as well as, you know, celebrating those small wins. I love that. And I also love that you've taken journaling so uh, laterally. I've never heard someone talk about, you know, when, when people reference journaling, I often, I feel it's a little bit like how when people reference a budget in my head, I automatically see an Excel spreadsheet. Um, you know, when I see journaling, I see this intimidating blank page and a pen that's like, okay, go write about how you feel, what you're thinking. That notion of actually just pick something that gives you the opportunity to express what you're thinking, feeling, going through in whatever way you choose it to be that day. I love that idea. That's really cool. Yeah. And do it for yourself, you know. Don't do it for other people. Because I feel yeah. like today's age, people always want to do it for other people and Instagram and show other people. Do it for yourself. Yeah, that's a really good point. Probably most of our journaling is building a photo library on Instagram, which is a very different type of journaling to what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, like journaling and then having to like write a book, you know, all that stuff. I don't believe in that. I think, you know, it for yourself because that's what really matters. I love that. What a brilliant note to finish on. Mon, you're such a rock star. I love getting to engage with your incredible creative uh, well, outputs on a regular basis. We had one of your incredible pieces showcased at the Space Festival at Byron this year, which was unreal. Um, and I just think it's truly extraordinary what you've done with Adam Alter and the way that you're pushing the envelope and challenging people to think about the environmental impact and footprint they're creating and this interplay between the digital, the physical and the human. Um, I look forward to following your trajectory, mate, and to watching the way that it, your creativity shows up in cities all around the world and in processes all around the world. So thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us today. Thanks for listening. I hope you're feeling fired up to be the change that you want to see in the world. I'd love to hear about the impact you're having. So hit me up on social and let me know what you're working on. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, why not keep it alive and share it with someone in your world? I'm Holly Ransom. Let's grab a coffee again soon.